0: Friends in, friends in Christ. I'm going to assume that most of you, if not all of you, realize that justice is a fundamental theme in Christian scripture. Not everybody believes that. There was a prominent movement in Christian ethics and Christian theology in the 20th century, which had roots farther back, which said this said that justice was indeed a prominent theme in the old testament but that love is the prominent theme in the new testament that justice gets supplanted by love maybe by love combined with righteousness Um, christ has come into the world the idea was and that has profoundly changed things christ gave us a model of what it is to act out of love We are to love God above all and our neighbor as ourself. And the idea was that justice would then take care of itself. Uh, Or if it didn't take care of itself, if there was a conflict between love and justice, we should say goodbye to justice and stick with love. Um, I'm going to assume that most of you don't believe that. Um, In the question period afterwards, it may be that some of you do believe that and you want to ask questions about it. That's fair enough. I'm going to assume that all of you are familiar with the report in St. Luke's Gospel of Jesus visiting a synagogue very early in his ministry, a synagogue in Nazareth. Uh, when you go to Nazareth, they will today they will show you the presumed spot. Um, went to synagogue. He was offered the scroll to read from the Torah, from the prophets and the law and read a passage from Isaiah. Read a passage, according to Luke, that actually blends two passages from Isaiah. Uh, The heart of the passage from Isaiah was, the Spirit of the Lord has descended upon me to bring justice to the nations. Jesus sat down. The person who uh, read the scripture in the synagogue was respected to make some comments about it. Jesus apparently sat down and didn't say anything. Um, People stared at him. so eventually he stood up and said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Um, at, Luke says that at first the people in the synagogue were delighted, but that Jesus then went on to say some things, yes, and this reign of justice extends to the Gentiles. They then became very angry, and um, you will today see a sort of escarpment, a cliff, where they threatened to throw him down if you go to Nazareth. Um, Jesus didn't say in the synagogue, um, justice is old hat, love is the new thing. Um, He didn't say that. Passage from Isaiah talking about justice. In your presence today, this uh, is being fulfilled. So let me say it one more time. I'm gonna assume that you believe that justice is a fundamental theme throughout Christian scripture. The Old Testament, yes, the New Testament as well. If you wanna ask questions about that, fine. Uh, scripture does not tell us what justice is. It does not give us a theory of justice. It assumes, it assumes that for its purposes we all know well enough what justice is, and I suspect that that's true. What it does instead is give us reasons for pursuing justice. And it gives us a, a set of priorities as to what we should, which kind of justice we should seek first of all. So that's what I'm gonna talk about this morning. But I can do only a little bit. Here's my actual picture, a sort of kaleidoscopic picture. If one were to talk fully about justice in scripture, you'd have to take this angle on it, then turn the kaleidoscope, that angle on it, turn the kaleidoscope, that angle on it, turn the kaleidoscope, that angle on it, and I'm not sure how many turns of the kaleidoscope would be required, maybe 10 or something like that. So I'm just gonna take one turn, and then secondly talk about priorities. The background for everything that scripture says about justice is that God loves justice. In the book of Isaiah we read, I the Lord love justice. It is God's love of justice that lies behind God's injunction to you and me to do justice. Now many different passages in scripture could be used, a lot of different passages in scripture could be used to develop this theme. I'm going to open it up this morning with one passage. Maybe a little bit surprising, a passage from the law code that the book of Deuteronomy says that Moses was instructed by God to give to Israel. So it's God's law code for Israel. It's not Moses' law code for Israel, okay? Here's what it says. You shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or the fatherless, or take a widow's garment and pledge, But you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God uh, redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. And when you reap your harvest in your field and have forgotten a sheaf in the field, you shouldn't go back and get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. The sojourner is, of course, the immigrant. That that, That the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over the boughs again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not glean it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. It's therefore that I command you to do this. Now this is strange. The members of Israel are to treat justly the widows, the orphans, and the aliens in their midst. And the reason that they're to do that is that they're to remember that, as a people, they were themselves once slaves in Egypt and that God redeemed them from their slavery. Here's the puzzle What's the connection between treating these people justly, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants, and remembering that God delivered Israel from Egypt? it just seems like two different things of course while they're doing justice they can remember that god delivered them they can do those two things at once that's no problem we could do that too but god is commanding them to do justice to do justice so that they remember that they were delivered to do justice because they are to remember And what sense does that make? How can you and I do justice so that we remember God's deliverance? How can a person do justice because he remembers God's deliverance or she remembers? Well, I think obviously the clue to to that question is this. The reference to remembering here It's not reference to some inner psychological state of bringing to mind or something like that, keeping in mind. It's a reference to the external social act of doing something as a memorial, of making something as a memorial, of doing something as a remembrance. If you read the Old Testament with care, what you'll notice is that Israel is instructed to fill its daily life with memorials of one and another act on God's part, to fill its life with memorials, things done in memorial, things made in memorial. The best known for all of us, I suppose, is the Passover. They're to celebrate the Passover yearly as a memorial of their deliverance and to Egypt. If you're curious about the Hebrew word, it's zikaron, as a zikaron, as a memorial of their deliverance from Egypt. But that just shifts the question what is it to do something as a memorial? Now, you find a lot of biblical scholars saying that this notion of doing something as a memorial, as as an external social event, is something peculiar to the ancient Hebrews or the Hebrews, were a Semitic people maybe be peculiar to the ancient Semites in general. You'll find that often said, that, that we moderns think of remembering as, you know, this interior thing, whereas the Semites or the Israelites thought of it as this external social thing, okay? Um, my time is kind of limited, so I'm going to be blunt. I think that's sheer nonsense, that's sheer nonsense. Our lives, your life here in Bend, February 2011, our lives are filled with memorials. Let me first discuss what it is, what a memorial is. A memorial is something that we make or do to keep alive the memory of some person or event in order to honor that person or event. Let me say it again. A memorial is something that we make or do in order to keep alive the memory of somebody or something and to honor the memory of that event or that person. Here's the idea we people, we human beings, are forgetful beings. And so, to overcome the acids of forgetfulness, we make and do these things. And we do it, yeah. The Vietnam Memorial in Washington, D.C. How many of you have been there? That's a memorial, right? I mean, its name tells you that. That's what it is. We Americans celebrate 4th of July every year as what? As a memorial of the day on which the independence of our nation from Great Britain was declared. We name cities Washington, D.C., in honor of Washington. Coins, nickels, Benjamin Franklin, Uh, quarters, I recall, Uh, Washington, Uh, one of them has Jefferson, forget which one. Um, Those are memorials. Now, granted, we don't often sit and look at the coin, but but it's, it's a memorial. So our lives are filled with memorials. I think you've got to say that the lives of human beings are filled with memorials. It's it's nonsense to say that it was peculiar to those ancient peoples. Okay. So, the Israelites were to do justice to the widows, the orphans, and the sojourners as a memorial of their deliverance from Egypt. But why do justice as a memorial? Why not do something else? Well, the Israelites did do other things as a memorial. They did the Passover as a memorial. They kept the Sabbath as a memorial. But why justice as a memorial of their deliverance? I think the answer is pretty clear. The widows, the orphans, and the aliens were endangered. They lived on, their existence was fragile highly dependent on those around them. To do justice to them was to deliver them from the menace that they experienced in their daily existence. That's why doing justice was appropriate as a memorial of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. One more thing, if doing justice is appropriate as a memorial of Israel's deliverance from Egypt, because you're delivering these vulnerable people, then to do justice is to imitate God. So it's two things at once, see, doing as a memorial of God's deliverance and imitating the deliverance. Now... This idea of doing something as a memorial was taken over by our Lord into the founding of the church. At his Last Supper in the upper room, Christ says, Do this. Actually, it means keep on doing this. Keep on doing this as a memorial. I know a lot of translations say to remember, but the Greek word is the exact translation of the old Hebrew word memorial. Do this. Keep on doing this, this supper, this Lord's Supper. Keep on doing this as a memorial. So here's my question to you, and I'm not going to answer it, I just invite you to think about it. Should we Christians both celebrate the Lord's Supper as a memorial of Christ's deliverance of us from sin and death? And should we also do justice? as a memorial of our deliverance by Christ from sin and death? Is that how we should appropriate this haunting Old Testament idea of doing justice as a memorial? Just as Israel both celebrated the Passover as a memorial and did justice as a memorial, should we too both celebrate the Lord's Supper and do justice as a memorial of deliverance? And what difference would it make if we did? Would doing justice seem different? Would it be done differently? Reflect on that. I mentioned at the beginning of this meditation that scripture does not give us a theory of justice. Instead, it tells us why we should do justice and it establishes some priorities. I can use the same passage from Deuteronomy for the priorities. We were you struck by the fact that four times in the space of six brief verses, the doing of justice was connected to, here we go, the fate of the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow? Like a clanging refrain the sojourner, the orphan, and the widow, the immigrant, the orphan, and the widow. And the book of Deuteronomy here is typical. This runs throughout the Old Testament. Over and over, the doing of justice is connected to the fate of the widow, the orphan, and the alien, to which is very often added the impoverished. The widow, the orphan, the alien, and the poor. Here is Isaiah speaking. Seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Just a few chapters later, still Isaiah. Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless, the orphans, their prey. And from among hundreds of other passages I could read to make the same point. Here's from the Psalms. Give justice to the weak and the orphan. Maintain the right of the lowly and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hands of the wicked. The widows, the orphans, the aliens, and the impoverished. Some of you are students. You've read Plato's Republic. Plato's Republic is all about justice. You won't find a word in Plato's Republic about the widows, the orphans, and the aliens, and the impoverished. Not a word. And you can read most of the other Western literature about justice, and you won't hear a word about the widows, the orphans, the aliens, and the impoverished. So this is extraordinary. This is way out of the ordinary. And it forces us to ask, what's going on? What's going on? A preliminary point. The Old Testament writers were not indifferent to injustice in general. They were not in favor of wealthy people getting mugged no way i mean sometimes they explicitly talk against it but the widows the orphans the aliens and the impoverished are up front center justice for them was up front center social justice okay so what's the point why the widows the orphans the aliens and the impoverished that quartet Well, a lot of you know, some of you know anyway, that the Latin American liberation theologians of about 20, uh, 30 years ago talked about the uh, preferential option for the poor. They argued that in the Bible there's a preferential option for the poor, that that's what's going on here. Some of you may also know that this got some North America, quite a few North Americans hopping mad uh, for this reason. What do you mean preferential option for the poor? God loves everybody. I'm wealthy, doesn't God love me? What do you mean preferential option for the poor? They were very angry, a very angry response. Um, Yeah, God loves everybody, including wealthy people. But you can't get around the fact that over and over and over, at least 300 times in the Old Testament, the widows, the orphans, the aliens, and the impoverished, So you've got to ask, what's the point? I think the point is this. Injustice mugging done to the wealthy person is an episode in his or her life. The injustice that's done to the widow, the orphan, and the alien, and the impoverished pertains to the daily condition of their lives. The daily condition of their lives is unjust. They also are subject now and then to episodes of injustice, to muggings, poor people get mugged also. The mugger doesn't make as much, but uh, poor people also get mugged, and so forth. But it's the daily condition of their lives. I think it's clear that what the Old Testament is telling us is this. Remember, the Old Testament is not a theory. It's telling us do justice. And what it's implicitly saying here is, Go for the priority. If you find some people whose daily condition is unjust, as opposed to those whose injustice is an episode, you have to go for the former. You have to go for the former. I mean, obviously. Now, in ancient Israel society, the widows, the orphans, the aliens, and the impoverished were the vulnerable. Call them the quartet of the vulnerable. So I think it's unmistakable what our biblical writings are telling us is, first of all, look to see what's happening to the quartet of the vulnerable. And the vulnerable are not so terribly different in our society. The aliens are the immigrants. Their daily condition is still fragile and and endangered. Widows, you know, okay, you can fill it out. That's what scripture is saying. That's our priority. Um, And Jesus hammers home this point. One Sabbath day, you remember? One Sabbath day, Jesus was invited to the house of a Pharisee for lunch after the uh, synagogue service. Look, I have no idea what this Pharisee had in his head uh, to invite Jesus over for dinner. I mean, he should have known better, but anyway. So the Pharisee opened. Offers, uh, invites Jesus over for dinner. Then lo and behold, somehow a person with a blood disease, dropsy, gets in to the room, um, presents herself to Jesus. Jesus looks around and says, is it okay to heal on the Sabbath? Nobody is gonna say no. So a stony silence, so Jesus heals her, sends her away. Then Jesus looks around, and he notices the hierarchical seating arrangements. The upper status people in the local village are seated close to the host, and the people of low status are seated way down here somewhere. And then Jesus says, um, well, this is what he says. Um, Now imagine imagine somebody standing up in your living room, okay? And they've noticed the seating arrangements. Sort of hierarchical seating arrangements. And then what they say is this. I think that when you give a dinner party, you should not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors because they can give a dinner party in return and you would be repaid. But I think that when you give a dinner party, you should invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you should be blessed, because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid on the day of the resurrection of the just. Um, That's what Jesus said, continuing the Old Testament theme of priorities, right? Give your priority to the vulnerable. So, a final point. Did you notice that The passage from Isaiah that I rather quickly read spoke of this quartet of the vulnerable as oppressed, and that the psalmist spoke of them as at the mercy of the hand of the wicked. So Isaiah and the prophet did not use the language that you and I nowadays often use, which is not totally wrong, did not describe them as unfortunates, did not describe them as peripheral, The image they used was downtrodden, oppressed. That's the image they use. Now, it has to be said that if the problem is that the person in front of you is oppressed and that you want to render justice to that person, you're going to find yourself in conflict. Giving charity to the hurricane victims in Haiti is going to get you in no trouble. Trying to lift the bonds of those who are downtrodden is going to get you into a lot of trouble. But says Jesus, blessed are those who are persecuted for the sake of justice. So seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow Isaiah spoke those words, of course, to his fellow Israelites. Today, God speaks them to me and to you. We are to look for the vulnerable in our society and to discern whether they are not only vulnerable, but downtrodden. And we are to seek justice for them by delivering them from whatever it is that oppresses their life and their well-being. We are to seek justice for them in imitation of God's love of justice. And I think we're to do it for this somewhat mysterious reason of doing it as a memorial of Christ's deliverance of us from the bonds, the oppression of sin and death.